Welcome to In the Trenches, a weekly podcast series dedicated to entrepreneurial leadership, the principles and values that define and develop it, as well as actionable steps that you can take to immediately lead your team to victory. Good afternoon, guys. This is Eric LeClaire with Push Press, and we are continuing our series of In the Trenches, and we're taking a look at leadership styles, um, leadership principles and values. And today, I get a chance to wrap up with an old friend, someone who showed up in my life as both an educator, as well as a coach and athlete. And we've got a chance to maintain a wonderful friendship, a professional relationship, but also a great friendship. I'm going to guess 14 years, maybe 13, 14 years, somewhere around there. This is Carl Borg. And Carl, for those that are watching that don't know anything about your background or your coaching and athletic endeavors, feel free. Go ahead and introduce yourself. Thanks, Coach. It's been a long time since we had a chance to really sit down and talk. I think you and I met originally back probably about 2006. And that was uh, with Debbie and Steve down at one of the CrossFits in uh, Huntington Beach. And that's when I was working with uh, Brian McKenzie. And we had I don't even think we had opened CrossFit Newport Beach at that point in time, but I remember we all met at their facility and that's where I first got your introduction to you walking around, shaved head, red t-shirt. I remember all the little TCA stuff. So I, yep. kind of, well, all sitting up against the walls going, what it is, what are we all doing? And that just branched out with the whole CrossFit things that started to uh, expand. Um, my background as an athlete, you know, was competitive cyclist for a very, very, very long time. Started racing in probably 1994 is where I started and all that kind of moved forward, raced at a pretty high level. It used to be expert. Now it'd be considered cat one and got into the strength and conditioning field, probably about 2003, 2004. And that was just experimenting around stuff to be a better cyclist really started taking it seriously, found out this something I really want to do, really enjoyed it. Um, met Brian McKenzie, and that was probably 2005. Right. We did CrossFit. We had a, a genetic potential was our first little gym. That expanded out from there. And the real big growth for myself and a lot of the coaching world was bringing our endurance background, and we started CrossFit Endurance. And that's where... That was the certification, right? So folks that were doing their level one, they could then expand their knowledge by doing the specialty cert. That's correct. That, uh, was it CrossFit Newport Beach then uh, at that point? Yeah, we were still CrossFit Newport Beach. So many, many years of CrossFit endurance went on. Um, I finally kind of made my move away from the CrossFit scene probably about 2010. Still love it. Still love watching it. But my need as a as a coach, as an athlete, and the people I was working with just kind of needed a slightly a little bit different direction, right. a more specific focus. Not that CrossFit wasn't good. And there's still many sets that I will do to this day for myself and many other people. Um, Helen, for one, it's just one of those that will never, ever be a bad workout. <laughs> never a bad workout. So 2014, I officially started board performance training. And that was set up to be very individual and specific to whatever athlete I happen to be working with. Um, pretty well known in the endurance world for the cycling, triathlon, ultra running. I have a background in that as well. Okay. So that's kind of what brought in a lot of athletes to me. And the thing with these guys is they were always coming in. Most cyclists and runners are always worried about getting big and bulky. 
And I'd sit up there and look at him like, okay, I'm probably about 150 pounds. I could deadlift 400 pounds. <laughs> You're not going to get bulky. That's kind of where things have spawned off and been running my business pretty successfully. Although the last couple of weeks for all of us have been a little bit of a, a slippery slope and a lot of unknowns. But my facility is all run individual programming. It's kind of an open gym policy. I have several other coaches and we work with cyclists, triathletes, rock climbers, volleyball, tennis. I have some martial artists, law enforcement. So pretty big gamut of everybody that we work with. So if you were to have to be able to communicate what maybe you took from the athletic world into developing business, were there any um, formal principles or values that helped you form um, like maybe your vision statement or your vision statement? Um, did you take anything that you've, you know, maybe from an old coach that you, that you looked up to or any mentors that you looked up to or ha- has it been an evolution ever since? It's been a lot of evolution. Um, I don't have a military background, like a lot of, a lot of coaches out there. So you guys have been very used to very specific structure being told what to do, when to do, how to do a lot of this. I've kind of had to figure out on my own, right? Uh, I've had worked with other coaches in the past that have given you some very good, good tasks and structure timing, you know, come from a swimming background, you know, you got to go to work, swim practice starts at five forty-five in the morning, you jump in do the set, take care of the rest of your day. So a right. lot of for me kind of figuring out how to be a leader on my own. And the thing with my business is it was pretty much just me. For many years, it was only me. I'd wake up and do the programming, go to the gym, coach all the coach or coach all the athletes that are coming in to train and then go home. I didn't have anybody else to help, you know, discuss abilities too, or yeah. Yeah. So it, it all fell upon me. And, you know, fast forward to where I'm at now, I have to do that for my, my coaches, not to mention my athletes at the same time. So a lot of learning going on for me and every single day I'm learning something new. Right on. I, I, I love watching when coaches get a chance to transition from working one-on-one with the athlete or one-on-two or one-on-three, if it's a team-based piece to now pouring into junior coaches or interns and helping to develop and, you know, create a pipeline for them, right? Because maybe they are the next evolution of you or your brand. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, it's, you kind of say you see, is that where you see board performance training going where you might be able to step out of some of the roles and responsibility and kind of delegate out or dish out some other stuff for your, for your junior coaches. Is that what's. Yeah, absolutely. It's key point right there. And in searching for coaches for me, and if you own a CrossFit facility, there's a lot of coaches out there and you pretty much have a set of standards that, you know, they're going to be able to hopefully teach how to do a thruster, how to do a squat or burpee, you know, pull-ups, whether it be kipping or not bringing the coaches in that I need, they need to be very adaptable to working with different athletes. You know, one of my coaches has a rugby background, um, good strength coach. Other one has a Olympic weightlifter. So I have two high powered athletes, whether at least coaches with a high powered athletic background. And now they're coming into working with long distance cycling, ultra runners, people that are in a different realm for them. So things that I'm having to work with them on is, 
teaching them how to learn somebody else's sport. Right. Right. And not only be understanding of whether it's the sport, the position, the season, maybe the injuries associated with that client, but then also having some empathy to understand they may not be like you, right? In your sport. Absolutely. The, the psychological thing behind that is it's a big thing. You know, a lot of CrossFitters or people in general fitness, I know that when you're sore after a workout, you think you did something really, really good and you feel it. But when right. you take a high level competitive cyclist, you know, whether it be a road or a mountain biker, and you make their legs so sore that they can't pedal their bike the next day, they're pissed off at you. They're not happy they got a good workout. They're pissed. <laughs> oh, I believe it. Trust me, I've made that error before too when I introduced somebody to the assault bike. And uh, <laughs> he was a great cyclist. He used to do repeats up and down. You know Chantry, the Chantry Flats area. Mm-hmm. And um, he was going out for his normal Thursday morning set of repeats after what I would look at is like, hey, we're just going to do a couple of three-minute intervals on the assault bike. Three minutes on, three minutes off, times four. I don't want you to go max effort, although he wanted to go max effort because he wanted to prove that the assault bike wasn't hard. And the next morning, he couldn't get up the hill once. And he was furious, furious with me. And I went, shit, that's probably the wrong day to introduce him to that bike. Exactly. And it's, it's the, part of the leadership of being in my position, being the owner of a gym, head coach and having my other coaches underneath is, is the psychology behind teaching them to talk to the athletes, knowing that, Hey, if you feel you can do this workout again, we probably did it right. That means you're going to take away that carryover from that set to your next couple of days of training. Where is that going to show its colors? Three, four, five, six weeks from now, look back and see where you're at. Yeah. A lot of the athletes too will always say, Oh, am I doing enough? Am I really doing enough? Is this having an effect? My cyclists are easy. Take a look at your numbers. Is your power? Are you recovering faster? That's kind of their golden ticket. And teaching my coaches about, you know, power meters and TSS scores and intensity factor is still a little bit out of their, (laughs) a little bit out of their realm at this point, but the psychology of the athletes that we have in the gym. And they'll get there. I mean, they will, as they evolve academically, and you give them little bits more challenge, whether it be on the program design side or the execution of the training or the collection of data or the interpretation of the data. I mean, taking that information back and being able to communicate it to the client, that in and of itself is a journey of, of learning how to read, understand, and communicate. Some coaches aren't ready for that. They, they don't, like, they're, they're like, wait, what? I, I have to talk to them about their results? I thought we just put them through training. And you're like, oh, dude, we, we got to talk. I totally agree with you on that. And I think that's kind of where the, the, the specifics of working with athletes carries over for me and helps out. CrossFit was great, but most people just wanted to come in and, you know, get a good work, get a little stronger, but not have, have a goal specific use of their training. Right. Right. I agree. So now if you, you've taken this time to build up yourself academically and professionally, build up your brand to be a standalone, um, you know, a, a market brand that folks can now recognize separate from like the local CrossFits or the other micro gyms. And now you're developing staff. You've got this massive wall that everybody hit three weeks ago, four weeks ago. What did you think? How, what were your actions as the leader how did you communicate to your staff and, of course, to your clientele? What did, what did you end up doing? 
Well, the first thing is that I fought it as long as I possibly could. And I was kind of saw the writing on the wall with where bars are starting to be closed and big gyms, you know, the 250 people limit was, you know, you had to forcibly be closed. Then it all the way came down to 50 and then it came down to 10. And I fought it. I'm going, I might only have one or two people in the gym at a time. I'll be just fine. And then it said, all gyms must close. So I took it up as long as I could and then made the decision to be socially responsible to close the gym just for the security and safety of myself, all the athletes inside the gym right. and my family. And that was the one thing that came down to it of, sure, it may just be me in the gym and one other athlete. But if I happen to get sick from somebody at that gym and I brought that home, I've just now taken, taken my family and put them in a really you know, a compromised position. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. It it was a tough thing to originally to close and my coaches understood and we've, we've made some changes. Got pretty much like everybody gone to a lot of online programming, which has never been one of my favorite things to do because you can never see the athlete move. You don't know what they're doing. So the first week was pretty tough. I mean, all of my athletes are, have all their programs on an application. So that part was very easy to give them programming. But at that point, we didn't know what they had for equipment. Still trying to keep them on their goal of, you know, being a cyclist, a triathlete, even though most of those events have already been canceled for the season. Yeah, I was going to say, that was yeah. for us. The challenge was, you know, a big swath of our clientele had races canceled. Yeah. Um, and then, of course, they had to pivot on their calendar. I mean, the, for the big one, obviously, AC is canceled. Right. Um, a couple of folks had marathons, uh, some at the Big Sur. Obviously, Nike was canceled, San Diego. Like, there's a whole bunch that, and now they're just pretty much done. Um, how did you lead some of your clients through the, the, like, the depression of frustration? Were any of them like, man, I did all this training and now my A, or even my, maybe my A and my B events aren't even on the calendar right now? Yeah, that, that happened. Some of them were actually pretty, pretty easy to deal with that through that. They just kind of kept training. I'm like, look, this is a new lease on us. We can do a little bit more strength work, get you better set for the season. Good. When and if it continues, it's going to be later. So we're going to miss some of those early season races, but you still, your stuff looking like it's getting rescheduled later towards, you know, September, October, November. Good. One of my athletes I've had a little more of mental discussion. He's a track cyclist and obviously limited to doing his sport is in a closed venue and that's been done. So he's right. been to the road. All of his events are kind of, you know, definitely been canceled, but he's trying to be another multiple world champion. So there's a lot of, a lot of an ego going on and a mental battle in his head of, well, did all the work I do for the last three months just go in vain? So having that discussion and trying to lead him to a, to a better spot in his head is it's an ongoing battle. Right. Right. No, I agree. I mean, that's a, it, it takes a very empathetic coach and a seasoned coach to be able to like walk them back off the cliff or, or, you know, bring them down from where they're at um, and maybe help them zoom out and see the big picture that it's not in vain. And, and you've now bought maybe a little bit more time, like you said, to, to improve upon what, whether it be a mobility piece or a strength piece. Um, I'm I'm glad to hear that. I'm glad that you're able to help console some folks that might be struggling, which I'm sure besides regular clients are struggling folks that are like bought in seasoned, trained up, paid for it, executed the training and we're tracking to be successful. I mean, that's, 
look at the Olympians, right? You know, you're like, well, you get an extra year. And they're like, we don't, some said we don't want an extra year. We wanted to do it now. Like just be done. Interesting. Yeah. You know, and, and another thing looking forward for all of us coaches, um, what is the delivery of strength and conditioning going to look like? You know, when, when are the, when are these regulations finally going to be lifted as to how many people can come back into the gym? How are the, how's the psychology and the emotional feeling of a person being in a gym with three or four other people? How is that going to play out? Right. I've started coaches about that a little bit already, but it's such an unknown. And for myself, I don't know how I'm going to react. You know, I've been home, have, haven't been around many people outside of my family. How is it going to be the first time you have to spot somebody on a bench or a squat? Are you or, not following social distancing? <laughs> or, or simply opening your door and saying, come back into my space now. Um, although I'm here, I'll be in the office. Like, I don't know. It's just like, there are some coaches that are identical to what you just said. They're, they themselves are uncomfortable being around folks. So even though they say, yeah, I got to turn the business back on. I don't know if I want to be around for a little bit. It, it, definitely around like 20 people, 30 people, 40 people, like classes, teams, personal training clients, other coaches, you know, cause on, a, on any given day, what would be the max of participation in your gym? Like let's say I'm about the biggest hour, 10 folks, 15 folks. What do you think? My facility is small. We're under 70 athletes total. Okay. So on a, on a random massive day, we'd have 10 people in the gym at once. Right. So it's so spread out for most right. of the you've got to be able to go interact with them, you know? And so, you, so even though they might be away from each other, you have to be next to them moving all the time. Yeah. yeah so I that, that lead, leading through that part is kind of a, it's an unknown right now. You know, is it a lot of this, I'm going to say it probably has a little bit of, of PTSD because we don't know how, how this is going to affect until we get into that situation. Oh, great. Yeah, no, for sure. I mean, there's so many folks that are um, cautiously optimistic, but want to get back to work. But then there's also there's there's an underlying underlying fear, you know, and rightfully so, you know, rightfully so. Psychological damage coming out of this thing. Even for those that are going to be successful. What about the side? Right. So that really is kind of where we go with that with this last piece is you've you've learned, you've had enough trials and lessons, and we're now in this landscape of the unknown. And we know there are coaches that are failing. We know there are gyms that are potentially shutting down. They've lost huge percentages of their clientele. If you could leave them with a message, not necessarily even a message of hope, not hope at all, but like a tactic or a specific strategy to employ, is there anything that you would uh, provide for them just to kind of think about, let's say, over the course of this, this weekend? I would say the, the biggest thing, at least for myself that I've been going through with this situation, don't be afraid to ask for help. Don't be afraid to ask questions. Yeah. That right there has already helped me out a lot. And another thing for older coaches and younger coaches, reach out and connect with other coaches, coaches that might not necessarily be in your field or your area of comfort. If you're a right. cross coach, Reach out to a guy that does strength and conditioning for baseball. You know, same thing for being a, an older coach. I reach out to a lot of younger coaches too that aren't on my staff just to, to touch base. And the same thing for younger coaches going up the chain to guys that have had a lot of experience. 
keep us all in the game. Right on. We are, yeah, we're, we're all coaches. You know, it's, it's not what we do, it's who we are. Right. The, the value there is in the relationship with the client. And we can always reach out and learn from anyone else. But we have to be humble enough to raise our hand and go, I need help. I don't know the answers here, which is fair. You know, it's, a, it's absolutely fair. Absolutely. Couldn't agree more. Carl, thank you so much. I sincerely appreciate not only your time um, and, of course, the opportunity to learn and for you to provide some insights for these coaches. But um, like I said earlier, man, I've been reaching back into the deck of old friends, old coaches. So thank you for your friendship. Thank you for the guidance in your organization from day one to help impress upon me and my staff at TCA how to care for our clients, how to improve them. Uh, And so just, you know, thanks, man. I really appreciate it. Oh, thank you, Coach. Really enjoyed this time together.